disciples listened to Jesus, and as they did, they became fishermen of men. They knew how to hook the person and bring them to Jesus. The message that they had, the good news that they had, was was surely enough to bring people to Jesus. They listened to Jesus' uh, promise to go into the upper room, for there you shall receive power from on high. Acts 1 and 8, and they was endued with power from on high. Now that, that word there, deutimus, is the word dynamite. Oh, you know where I was going with this story now with the dynamite. So, you know, God's given us dynamite too that we can catch fish. It might be a little bit different than the way others are doing that, but that's okay. You know, we just need to follow the lead of the Lord and the Holy Spirit and we'll see fish coming in. Somebody say amen. Amen. Now, I hope that you've been watching the AD series and um, on NBC at 9 o'clock, it comes on again tonight. And boy, I, I've just, I've enjoyed it myself. Today's message is what even skeptics believe. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9, verse 1. I want to show you something. I want you to get the, uh, I want you to get this word here today, this uh, narrative here today, I should say, of this man by the name of Saul. Who he was, what was going on in his life, what did God do in arresting him in his journey? See, sometimes we think we're going somewhere and God, you know, intervenes. And this is exactly what he did to Saul's life. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city And you will be told what you must do. Bow your heads with me this morning. Father, I I just ask for a mighty anointing this morning upon this service, upon these lips of clay. And and Lord, as I deliver this message that I believe is going to touch some hearts, change some souls. And and God, uh, we look to you. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by your Holy Spirit, oh God, that we see change. And we can see mountains move. We can see miracles happen. We can see, Lord, that you meet needs through the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray your Holy Spirit would be very active in me and in each and every one of us this day. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, you know, my prayer that God would open our eyes as he opened Saul's eyes on that road to Damascus. Now, uh, Mike, let me have your Bible just for a moment. You know, I love the Word of God. I believe the Word of God. I've read God's Word from Genesis to Revelations. I couldn't tell you how many times. In some of the books, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 times, you know, that you read a certain book that you just really like in the Bible. Verses that many times I can quote a verse of Scripture to you about a subject on uh, uh, different subjects or whatever it may be on. I've learned that, you know, put it into my heart, put it into my mind. I believe in the Word of God. I believe it's a, a light unto our pathway. Somebody say amen. amen. 
I believe it, you know, it, it, I believe in the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures that God has given us. God has given us His Holy Spirit. God has given us His Holy Word. I believe this is the Word of God that God gave to the church. We need to read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, practice it to be holy. Somebody say amen. amen. And if we, I believe that. I believe in the Bible. So I don't want to take nothing away from this book today. I want to establish that right. You know, I, I base my faith on this. When I went to seminary, uh, United Theological Seminary, they call me Mr. Open Bible. They say, let's see what Mr. Open Bible has to say. <laughs> now, that was really a little almost like a ridicule, you know, because I'm using so many scriptures. And I, and so I'm not, you know, I, I believe in this book. Somebody say he believes in the book. And we need to, we need, and, I, and, and I'm, I, you know, we need to be like Mike. We need to have that, see what's going on, get it in our hearts. But let me take you in a little bit different direction this morning. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the son of God. Okay. And everything that the Christian faith, we, we base it upon the Bible. And that's okay. I'm, not, I'm, I'm good with that. I'm fine with that. Matter of fact, I believe that too. But, you know, also, if we didn't have the Bible, say that we didn't have the Bible today. We had no Bible. That There's no Bible that was written. We, don't, we can still have faith in God. For the Bible says the heavens have declared the glory of God, and His firmament, the earth, showeth forth His handiwork. In other words, if there was no Bible, there still is a God. If there was no Bible, there was still a man called Jesus. And he walked the face of the earth. And folks, I'll tell you, we see this not, you know, take the Bible out of it. You can see it in history. History records it. And there was a man named Jesus. He did walk the shores of Galilee. Now, that's a fact. That's a fact in history. And just like a Caesar or whoever, you know, uh, Titus, uh, uh, you know, those different Romans, uh, whatever, that, that is a fact, uh, you know, historical fact. So this morning, I want to just kind of deal a little bit in the historical fact about the resurrection of Jesus. You know, it was the resurrection of Jesus that changed the world. It was the resurrection of Jesus that changed the lives of the disciples. They saw him. They touched him. They saw him die. They saw him, you know, he rose from the dead. They walked with him. They talked with him. He walked through buildings. Folks, I'll tell you what, that'd make me believe too. Come on, somebody. Like, yes, I want some of that. And that was what was happening. Gary Habermas was a young doctoral student at Michigan State in the 1970s. And he was struggling with his faith. And like so many young people... Who grow up in the Christian uh, uh, faith, Christian family, uh, eventually leave home and they also leave their faith as well. It came to the point of announcing to his mother that he was leaning toward Buddhism. To settle the issue rationally, Gary decided to do his doctoral uh, studies on the resurrection of Jesus. Wow. He felt that anchoring his faith in the truth on the resurrection would give him the peace and the confidence that he sought. The chairman of the doctoral committee said uh, that the topic was fine, but. Everybody say but. But he added, don't come back and tell us the resurrection happened because the Bible tells me so. So Gary's challenge was demonstrating the reality of this event without exclusively using scripture. He called his approach the minimal facts method. He presented 12 historical facts 
that validated the core events and the people surrounding the most crucial event in the Christian faith, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, out of these 12, we're going to look at five this morning, five right at the top five. We're going to look at them. There's more. But I want you to see, get a glimpse of this. I, the message would have been too long if I went into all of that. Number one, write this down. I think we have it up on, we'll have it up on the screen this morning. The first one is this. Jesus actually lived and was Jewish. That's a historical fact. Jesus actually lived and he was Jewish. This claim is only challenged by skeptics who have demonstrated to disbelieve any fact that would point to the validity of Christianity. So this is, this is important to remember that some Googling something is not equivalent to actually historical facts. See, when you start doing some historical facts, and some of the things you'll see footnotes on the bottom, it'll take you back to the place where somebody got something. It's just a, a hear-so hear thing, but it's an actual fact to something that's happened. That's what we're talking about today. So probably the most notable skeptic of the New Testament today is Dr. Bart Eckerman, a former Christian who rejects the inspiration of the Scriptures as a historian said the following this. In other words, he's a great historian, but again, he left the Christian faith. Now listen to what he said. He said, Jesus existed, and those vocal persons who deny it do so because they have considered the evidence with the dispassionate of the history, but because they have some other agenda that denies this. In other words, they have their own agenda. So Jesus actually lived and, and was Jewish. That's a historical fact. Number two, write this down. Jesus was ex executed, execute, executed. By, by crucifixion by Pontius Pilate. Now Josephus, a very histor you know, historian that we know, the first century historian, as well as Tactius, Roman historian of the early second century, also both were key witnesses of the fact beyond the testimony of Scripture that yes, there was a man named Jesus, and yes, the Romans did execute him. Okay. Now these historical references and why these even skeptics who believe was he was crucified. It is one of the open to honest looking at history, and that's what one would need to do today, okay? So we need to look at it for what it really is. Number three, write this down. Jesus' tomb was found empty by a group of his female followers three days after his crucifixion. The empty tomb, we've talked about that so many times in the resurrection message. This sudden expansion of the Christian faith just days after the death of the cross could not have happened if, if, if a body, if the body of Jesus was still in the tomb. I mean, it would have been, it had been uh, you know, to, to know, uh, uh, you know, there'd be nothing there, nothing to, to say. But because of the empty tomb and because there was no body to be found, let me say this. If there was a body to be found, believe me, the Romans would have found it. Come on, somebody. I mean, the greatest army and the greatest empire that ever lived was the Roman Empire over 600 and some years that it was in, you know, in existence. So his enemies would have simply produced the corpse and then everything else would have dissipated. Number four, write this down. His disciples believed that Jesus appeared to them after his death. This was very important. Now, the followers of Jesus indeed believed. They believed that he appeared to them. Now, let me just say this. And most of them died a martyr's death. All they had to do 
was reject Jesus. All he had to do was say, I don't believe in it anymore. And Peter had done that before, but after the resurrection, he never did that anymore. In other words, he took beatings. He did, they took stonings. They, they were ripped apart. They, they, tied, they tied them together, put horses on this side, horses on this side, and pulled them apart. All they had to do is recant. All they had to do is say that, that Jesus, you know, that, 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 that he was not real and they, he wasn't, they weren't a Christian anymore. It had all been over, but they wouldn't do that. Now, folks, you have to keep that in mind. They, they actually believe that. So the conclusion that Jesus was raised from the dead was the best explained data that we have. Since the resurrection is the foundation of Christianity, we should say it this way. Our faith is not the product of blind acceptance, but historic facts. Somebody say amen. In other words, there's facts there. We're not just, you know, you know we're not just uh, having some kind of illusion here. But the last one, and this is the one we want to... You want to park on today. This is the one that we want to kind of camp here a little bit today. And, and if you're watching the AD series in the tonight, you'll, you'll see a, 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 a real eye opener there as, as they display that. Saul of Tartus was transformed after claiming to see the reason, risen Jesus. Now, historians of all types acknowledge that there was a man by the name of Saul also known later as the Apostle Paul, was indeed a real person, highly educated, and religiously influenced leader. He was. But critics concede that Saul did undergo a dramatic transformation and became a follower of Jesus. In other words, this, there was a man by the name of Saul. There was a man, as we know as Paul, who wrote uh, many books of the New Testament. You know, he was a real person. Matter of fact, uh, 14 books of the New Testament that, that, that has his authorship on that. In other words, most of the Bible that we have is from Saul or, now, or, or Paul as we know him. And he was transformed on his way to Damascus. He had a transformation in his life. Because of the, pro, the, the prominence of the New Testament as well as this series that we are in, okay, we should examine the most in, in impact of Saul's encounter with the risen Savior. So I want to give you some things to look at this morning. Number one, if you, if you would, Roman number one, Saul's encounter with Christ gave him a new life's mission. Now you've got to understand, this man was probably part of the Sanhedrin. In other words, he had risen to a prominence in his own life. He had authority. He had a position. He was somebody and all of a sudden on the road to Damascus, as he tells the story and as he was very eloquent and as he began to speak with governors and, and, and even went to Rome, you know, and, and, and had many of the Romans, you know, converted to Christianity because of this man right here. And this man Saul, a later name is Paul. He influenced their life. He was given another life's mission and what he had. God began to do some things in his life. This event may be the most dramatic encounter with God in all of the scripture. It can be considered the New Testament parallel to what Moses encountered with God at the burning bush. In other words, we, we, you know, uh, a light came down from heaven. That's where we get the song. This, you know, uh, uh, talking about the light, you know, I saw the light. I saw the light. That's where they get the song, okay? In other words, Jesus is the light of the world. Come on, somebody. And, and when he, he began. His eyes begin to open. How many of you, just recently, my family and I on vacation, uh, was somewhere, I forget where it was at. Anyway, uh, we, we went into this uh, particular place, and you can see these pictures, and it, it, it was a two kind of picture. You know, you, you look at it, and, and you say, there's an old woman there. I said, hey, a woman, it's a young girl. I said, no, look a little closer. It's like, oh. 
You got to lean in a little bit. And you see the two different faces there. In other words, the light comes on. So Paul began to see the light. He began to see this Jesus as was in the Old Testament. And this Jesus was in the, he was the Messiah. He understood that. And it changed and transformed his life forever. So as we look at that, it was like compared to Moses, you know, uh, at, at the burning bush. So Saul's encounter is also the source of the expression, as I see, seeing the light, okay? So Paul's mission was to proclaim Christ's message and deliverance of a spiritual bondage and oppression. And, 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 and he was, you know, brought forth for such a time as this that God used him in a tremendous way. Matter of fact, you know, you know, there's millions and millions of Christians and because this one man, that his life was changed. But in history, there was a man by the name of Saul, whose later name was Paul, that we know of that wrote in the New Testament. Number two, Saul's encounter with Christ. It changed his character. Folks will tell you, when you come in contact with Jesus... And you have a relationship with Jesus, and you're really looking to Jesus. He will change your character. If you believe that, say amen. amen. So meeting, uh, meeting Christ on the road to Damascus not only changed the course of Saul's life, but it changed his character. It changed who he was. How many of you have been changed? Let me see your hands. I mean, I, I mean he changes us. I'm not the person I used to be. My character is not what it used to be. Come on, somebody. I mean, I had some things I don't want to tell you about that in my life. And, I, I, you know, shame and all that. Even thinking about it, sometimes the shame comes. How many of you are glad that God took care of the shame too? Calvary covers it all. Can you say amen? I mean, I mean this is what God has done for us. He, he changes our character, okay? In our world today, we can see this trait in people who think that they are doing God's work by harassing and harming Christians. Just like... That, that, that Saul did, okay? You know, before Damascus, Saul was indeed a, a, he was religious. He was very zealous in, in religion, yet his heart was filled with anger and resentment and even murder. He was killing Christians. He thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was doing God's will. How many of you know there's people just like that today? And this Saul, his life was changed. You know, the Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a what kind of creature? New creature, new creation. Old things are what? Behold, all things become what? New. In other words, he makes us new. Don't you like new things? I just like the smell of new things. You know, you get a new car, you get it. How many of you know a new car smells better than no car? I mean, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, you clean the house or whatever. You know, you just like something that's clean. Well, that's what God done for us. So one of the greatest evidences of the Christian faith is the collection of stories and accounts of people who were actually transformed. I heard about my dad. I heard about my mom. I've heard about my family members. I've heard about people's lives who's changed. And I tell you, I tell you, knowing who they were and who they are today, let me tell you something, his transformation. And God transforms lives today. If you believe that, say amen. amen. And he still does that. Number three. Saul's encounter with Christ affecting his relationships. 
Now, I can camp on this, and I won't, because, you know, I do a lot of preaching on relationships. One, matter of fact, our one-liners build, building relationships that make a difference. I believe that we need to, you know, start relationally with people. You don't just, you know, you're even witnessing. You know, you need to, you need to, you know, there might be a time that you just go up and, you know, witness to them. But you know what? A lot of times the building of the relationships is one of the best things that one could do. If you believe that, say amen. So encountering with Christ can cause relationships to dramatically, drastically shift, I should say. And Saul's companions were baffled by the sudden turnaround from being a Christ hater to a Christ follower. And, and you know, they began, as a matter of fact, the, the, the guy that was to go pray for him, the guy that was to go to, uh, you know, God told him, I want you to go pray for Paul, uh, Saul. He said, Saul, Saul, Saul's the one's killing us. You know, and sometimes God will tell us to do something. It's like, Lord, do you know what you're doing? Because this man's a bad man. But how many of you know when Jesus comes in, you're not bad anymore? The bad turns to good. Come on, somebody. And so Saul's encounter with Christ, you know, number four, write this down. Paul's encounter with Christ made him willing to suffer for Christ's sake. Now, Now, here's the thing. Here's what the scripture says. And Jesus told his disciples, if anyone comes after me. He must pick up his cross, help me out, and what? Follow me. Now, when you start following Jesus, he's going to take you places. Sometimes it's not, it may not be where you want to go. Come on, somebody. And he may, you may ask you to do things that you don't want to do. And it's called suffering, you know. And there's one thing, let me just say this. Uh, you, you know, and I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, healing and suffering. Two different things here. I'm not talking about it. I'm talking about suffering for Christ. I'm talking about suffering persecution. You know, I'm talking about suffering. You know, th- th- these guys got beat. They, these guys got, you know, they were ridiculed, all kinds of things for the sake of Christ. And some of you probably uh, maybe verbal per- persecution or whatever it may be, but you might have suffered for the cause of Christ yourself. Somebody say amen. I mean, somebody might not like you just because you're a Christian. You ever got that? I went into places before. I, I was in one place. I went in with another person. Matter of fact, you know, uh, uh, we, we were doing a little research, went in this place, and the guy pointed towards the door. He wanted us to leave. He knew we were Christians. You know, wanted us to out of there, you know. And, and uh, so, you know, you know th- th- that happens. You will suffer. Number five, I want you to see this. Saul's encounter with Christ caused him to ground his faith in truth of Scripture and just, not just personal experience. Now, three years after his encounter, Saul personally visited Peter. He visited James. And he, and he verified the message of the gospel in Galatians chapter 1, verse 18. And, and also he walked with the apostles, you know, who were eyewitnesses. Everybody say eyewitnesses. eyewitnesses. Now, now, you know, Paul says to himself, he says, I was one born out of due season. In other words, I should have been there myself. I should have been there. But he wasn't. But he walked with those. He talked with those. He sat with those who had actually touched Jesus after his death on the cross. Folks, they sat and watched him die. They sat and watched him bleed and die on the cross and suffer. They saw the Roman soldier take the spear and ram it through his side. And forthwith came blood and water out. In other words, he was dead. They saw him take him down. They saw him put him in the tomb. They, they put this, saw this huge rock go over the, the tomb. And then after three days, as he said he would, on the third day he would rise again, he rose from the dead. Let me tell you something. You know, you, any other God that someone may be serving, their God's still in the grave. Mine's alive. Come on, somebody. 
And mine's not on a cross either. Come on, somebody. You don't have to worship a cross. Come on, somebody. That has nothing to do with a cross. So the cross, you know, think, many men died on the cross, but there's only one that died and rose again. In other words, you've got to tie them together. It's not just the dying that makes the difference. It's the coming alive. It's the resurrection. The resurrection changed the lives of the disciples. They saw him. They witnessed. And the Bible says if that same spirit that's, that raised Christ from the dead is in you, that same spirit that raised him will also raise you someday. And we're going to have a resurrected body. Folks, I'm talking about this is some historical facts. Not just the Word of God. Yes, I'm using the Word of God, a few scriptures here. But I I just want to say, there was a man named Jesus. He did die on the cross, and he did rise again. Mm. Wow, as you think about that. Now, it was Paul who wrote to the Corinthians, the great gospel Crete, which receives the eyewitnesses he spoke of in 1 Corinthians 15.3. Historical facts. See, see, God used Saul, Paul, as we know him, because, you know, being part of the Sanhedrin, being part of a very educated elite person as he was, he sat down and he began to get facts. He began to get records. He began to put things together. And he talked about when Jesus, you know, walked with them 40 days. And in 1 Corinthians 15, as you see the word of God that he penned to the church at Corinth, and he said that, you know, that, that, you know, there was over 500 witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. I'm not talking about something, a story that was told. I'm not talking about what grandma said. I'm not talking about something that's heard. So I'm talking about something that's historical facts of 500 people witnessed. Now you get two people in a court of law, you can establish a fact. There was 500. Five, everybody say 500. 500. And he talked about the resurrection. That was the big thing. There's no other encounter like Saul's recorded in the New Testament. The impact of his preaching and his work sparked the explosion growth of the Christian church. And it just began to go everywhere. They began to go everywhere. They began to go everywhere. Now, some of you might be saying, okay, pastor, I I get it. You're, You're saying this is historical, but what does that mean to us? How can I apply this to my life? You see, we don't need the same dramatic experience with Christ as Saul did to have an impact. I believe God can use you right where you are. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. And he wants to use you as you are, just like you are. In other words, you don't need to be somebody else. I tried to be somebody else. I tried to be, you know, I I watched Billy Graham, how he'd walk to the podium. I tried to walk that way too and stumble and fail. Come on, somebody. Duh. And surely don't be like the one preacher. He was trying to do like another preacher. Had his hands in his pocket. Stumbled and failed. Couldn't get his hands out fast enough. (laughs) Fell right on his nose. We don't need to be somebody else. We need to be who God called us to be. So as you embrace key truths. And allow God to ground your faith. As he established Saul. You know lives you will touch. That nobody else will touch. But you know what? What the enemy would want to do. He wants to come along and try to make this thing not real. Uh, and, And try to put doubts. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But let me before we do that. Saul was able to change the world because he not only knew the historical facts regarding Jesus were true. But also he knew what they meant. 
And he began to write that and begin to be that witness to the world and that we know today and change the lives of so many and that we could do the same thing. Number one, write this down. Jesus lived the life of perfect obedience to God's law. Jesus lived the life of perfect obedience to God's law. Now, now again, this is where we turn to the Word of God, okay? Now, he was indeed a man. Everybody say he was a man. But he was also the Messiah. He was a man, but he was the son of man, but he's also the son of God. He had that dual nature. I, you know, that, that's a mystery. And, we'll, and some of that we'll have to just sit down and talk with him when we get there because we don't understand that. But he was not some legend or some myth borrowed from some Greeks or the Romans. He was Jewish. His life and his work were rooted in historical Judaism. Not Greek mythology or Egyptian legends. No, 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 no. Jesus came to fulfill what the prophets had spoken, but it was his perfect life of obedience. He obeyed the Holy Scripture. And the Bible says that he was to be the Lamb of God. As John the Baptist looked at him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. That was Jesus. So he lived the life of perfect obedience. Everybody say perfect obedience. perfect obedience. And we have the scripture on that found in 1 John 1, 2, 29. Jesus' death paid the penalty for the sin of the world. Now, folks, I'll tell you what, as you think about it, even though history tells us that he died, he can't, uh, you know, it can't really explain why. They, they, why, why did he die? They, they can't explain that because it's just, well, he was crucified. You know, why? Why was he crucified? You know, he could have called 10,000 angels, the Bible says, to release him. In other words, he could, all he had to do, you know, was do that. And he could have called, it could have wiped out the Roman Empire. But he said, my kingdom is not of this world. Come on, somebody. So we get that from, you know, and it's the same way with us. How many of you sometimes kind of want to put things in your own power and, 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 you know, in a situation, somebody pushes your button and you, you know, they push you. And what do you want to do? Push back. But Jesus didn't. They plucked his beard out. Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine? You, you talk about a superhero. I mean, you know, he could have put them all to flight right then. I mean, I mean and, and here he was. He, he's Jesus. He could do anything. He raised the dead. Okay. More than once. He raised the dead. He, I mean, walking, you know, he's, he's going down the road and here comes a funeral procession. How many of you know in a funeral procession, you know, most people pull over, you know, and let the funeral procession go. Now he walks right up, he's coming right in, they have to stop. And he walks right up to the casket and he raises the dead boy from, to life. Come on, somebody. His friend Lazarus went to visit him and, they, you know, they said, you know, he's dead. Now, you should have come earlier. You know, if you'd have been here, you know, he said, but I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. And the life. And he who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he lived. Come on, somebody. So Jesus paid the penalty of the world. Said, Number three, Jesus' resurrection proved he indeed was the Son of God. Now, folks, there's no other religion that makes that claim whatsoever. They don't even get close to it. They won't even get close to it. But there's only one. It's Christianity that makes that claim of a resurrection. Okay? The empty tomb and the appearance of Christ. And his resurrection demonstrates that he was indeed raised from the dead. And his resurrection demonstrates that the conclusion that Jesus was who he said he was. And who was that? 
He was a son of God. His words are indeed true. What he left us and what he said was indeed true. Our sins are forgiven. How many are glad that your sins are forgiven? Hallelujah. Take my sins away. Now, I once heard this, uh, this work on the cross explained this way. Christ wrote a check for our forgiveness in his blood at the cross. And at the resurrection, the check cleared. Come on, somebody. The check cleared. How many's ever had one of those didn't clear? Oh, me. I don't want you to raise your hand because I think we'd have about 97% of us raise our hand. Yeah, I've had one of those too. Duh. Aren't you glad for overdraft? Come on, somebody. Some of us just learned how to get out of it. Because <laughs> it happens. It happens. We make mistakes. Come on. And we all sin. It comes short of the glory of God. But thank God he died on the cross for our sins. Woo. That check cleared. Come on, somebody. Woo. So putting these truths together form the essence of the gospel. You know what the gospel means? What does the gospel mean? Good news. You know, to hear some Christian, you think, uh, really, good news? Is that what I'm hearing from you? And so, and so some Christians, they misspell the gospel and it's gossipa. <laughs> Bucket mouse, so to speak. Folks, I'll tell you, if you want to push my button, it's a bucket mouth in the church. It's a bucket mouth in the church. They can't keep, you know, they got to say, oh, and sometimes they put it in the form of a prayer request. (laughs) When Angie and I came to church here, one of the first things I said, I said, you know, if you've got something to say and you're talking about somebody, I'm going to have you to come up in front. You can tell us all. It got quiet just like it is now. <laughs> you wouldn't do that, would you? Yes, I would. Test me. That, that's one of my buttons. I'm sorry. That, that's one of my buttons. If you don't have something good to say about someone, don't. Go bucket mouth. You know, I could say other things, but that's about as fast far as I can go with it. But how many of you know gossip is not something one should be doing? We should have gospel coming out of us. We should be good news that Jesus died, that Jesus loves you. How can I help you? Have you ever seen someone that's coming, you know, and maybe they're upset or whatever? And, you know, folks, instead of casting stones or whatever, saying something, you know, you need to say a prayer for them. Maybe they've just had one of the worst days in their life. Hello. Amen. Well, I don't know why I'm camping there, okay? In closing, somebody clap. Hallelujah. Glory. (laughs) The question is this. If skeptics know these things are historically true, why don't they believe them? If skeptics know that these things that we've talked about are true, and again, we didn't use the Bible today. Uh, at the end there, we deal with this, you know, part of it. But I mean, 
the first part of it, we didn't use it. We used mostly the life of Saul, who was a historical fact. Jesus, who was a historical fact that he did live. That's history. There is no history without Jesus. It's A.D. or B.C. Come on, somebody. I mean, open your history books. I mean, they'll tell you. When you see something at the bottom and it's got a footnote, it takes you to the place where you can see where that actually happened. It's not hearsay. It's fact. Something that actually happened. But here's, here's, here's the rub. Obviously, this inquiry reveals one of the most mysterious, misunderstood aspect, aspects of our existence. And it's one word. Doubt. See, there's the, 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 the tactic of the enemy is this. You know, there's a lot of things he's not, he's not going to go there because he knows that you can, you, you'll win if he goes there. But he casts doubt. He cast doubt with Eve in the garden. Somebody say amen. amen. Did, did God say that? How many of you know sometimes that's all someone has to say? They just raise a question. It's like, you know, it's like doubt begins to come your way. Folks, let me tell you something. This is something that you and I as Christians, and we have to fight all the time, doubt. Come on, somebody. Yes, you know, I mean, you, you think about that, okay? So, so in a court of law, the burden of proof is beyond a reasonable Doubt. Doubt. See, that slick Philadelphia attorney, all he has to do is get a reasonable doubt and can change that whole situation by a reasonable doubt. Not possible doubt. Skeptics say these things like, isn't it possible that his disciples stole his body and then went out and preached that he had been resurrected? Yes, that's possible, but it's not reasonable. Why is it reasonable? Because they died for that cause. They gave their life for that cause. Every one of the disciples were martyred because of that. Why would all they have to do is just recant and they could live? They didn't. Why? Because they saw the resurrection. They lived with him. They ate with him after his death. So to make a, reason, make a rational, reasonable decision... We don't really need 100% certainty about anything, okay? Now, I'm winding this down. I'm getting ready to land this plane, okay? In the same way, God has given us evidence to believe. Now, let me go back to the story. As Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. But let me go back to this guy by the name of Gary Habermas. The problem with Gary is he struggles so much with doubt, He has deep compassion on those with similar struggles with doubt. And Gary says there's three kinds of doubt. He describes three kinds of doubt. Number one, factual doubt. Number two, emotional doubt. Number three, uh, relational doubt. And if your issues are factual doubt, factual doubt doubting that these truths are the facts of history, then this message should go a long way in helping you today, okay? Yet, many of you know the correct facts, but still don't believe. That, again, that word doubt comes in there, okay? So the issue could be emotional doubt, which points to any experience that has left a person in a place that they can't overcome the emotional hurdles of life. And then finally, relational doubt. Every person has a choice. God 
gave the human race the privilege that he gave no other creature the power to make choices. How many of you are glad that God gave us the power to make choices? You know, he just didn't wind us up in the back, you you know. You know. No. We're not robots. We're not robotic. We're humans. We have a mind, a will, and emotions. And God says, they're going to love me in spite of all of that. They're going to love me anyway. They're going to go through things, but they're going to love me anyway. They're going to stand in the church at 4715 Burkhardt and lift up their hands and say, praise the Lord. So you see, Moses spoke to the people of Israel and declared God's challenge. Here's what he said in Deuteronomy 30, 19. This day I call the heavens and earth as a witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursing. Now choose life so that you may have children and your children may live. As Saul, who would later in the New Testament wrote it this way in Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Folks, I want you to think about that. I want you to get that down inside of you. This very day, you have the awesome, the opportunity to take that step of faith. And let me just say this. It's not a blind step. There was a man named Jesus. He did die on the cross, historical fact. And over 500 witnesses said they saw that. They saw him. They talked with him. They walked with him. They ate fish. Come on, somebody. Dead people don't eat fish. Come on, somebody. (laughs) They ate with him. They talked with him. They walked with him. Over 500. Everybody say 500. 500. Think about that. 500 people witnessed that. We can make decisions today. Folks, my decision is, you say, Pastor, do you have doubt? There's times that I've had doubt. There's times that I've had doubt. How many of you would say that there's times that you've had doubt? Something that you've doubted. I like what the one songwriter says. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Oh, hallelujah. You know, sometimes there's some things. How many of you know sometimes things are just so good it's hard to explain? But you know it's true. But we have more than just a feeling. We walk not by sight, but by, help me out, faith. So, you know, when you have faith in your heart... You cannot have faith and doubt at the same time. How many of you know you can't praise God and curse God at the same time? You'll do one or the other. I choose to serve God all the days of my life. What about you? And you know, by doing that, the Bible says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So everywhere I go, they're walking with me. Everywhere I go, goodness and mercy are with me. They're following me. You know, when I walk into a place, if it's not blessed, yes, it, 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 if it's not blessed, it's going to be because I'm walking in. 
When I get on the plane, thank God I got on the plane because goodness and mercy is with me. Isn't God good? Did you get anything out of this day? Put your hands together. Give the Lord a hand clap. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you this day that you've given us. And Lord, I know we've talked a lot about history and not as much about your word today. But we did that intentionally. Lord, to say that, that not only does your word declare that. But even if we didn't have the word of God, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament that showeth forth his handiwork. And yet we are without excuse. And God, I thank you that, you, that you're embedding these things in our hearts and our minds. Why? That we would not doubt you. The only arsenal that the enemy has and uses is doubt in our minds. Those fiery darts that he throws at us to get into our minds, to try to get into our hearts. And I pray today that we've grounded and established something here that we could stand and rejoice because we know you live. And because you live, we can live also. Bless your people this day, we pray, Lord. 